listeners, and welcome to this next episode of How Do You EQ, a podcast where industry disruptors share their firsthand experiences on building, growing, and cultivating innovative companies that start with a people-first approach. Let me start with a huge welcome back to our returning listeners and a hearty EQRX welcome to all those who are listening to this podcast for the very first time. I'm Sue Hager. I'm your host, and I'm Chief Communications Officer here at EQRX. We host this podcast because at EQRX, we truly believe in our people-first approach that enables us to deliver tangible benefits to people across the globe who need access to affordable, high-quality medicines. So over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking with people who are really thoughtful culture builders, and we'll gain some important perspectives from big thinkers in the world of work. So today, I have a very special guest. I am joined by Brendan Brown, and Brendan leads recruiting for LinkedIn. That's right. And I said LinkedIn, and he is the VP of Global Talent Acquisition. For the past 10 years, Brendan's been building the team at LinkedIn, a team who has defined the platform that we all know and love. And his team continues to innovate and really rethink the world of recruiting and talent insights. Prior to joining LinkedIn, Brendan was a talent recruitment advisor for some really significant companies, including Microsoft, Northwestern Mutual, and Sapient, each company truly innovative in its own right. Brendan has a massive following on LinkedIn, and if you're not following him, you probably should be. And he hosts his own video series, which I truly have come to love. It's called Talent on Tap. And he really offers some super thoughtful insights on the world of recruiting. He's an adept guitarist and shares some of his own jam sessions, which I've also really enjoyed as I've gotten to know Brendan over the last weeks and months leading up to this podcast today. So Brendan, thank you for all of that. Both your podcast and your jam sessions, they make me laugh. They bring a smile to my face or just a great source of entertainment and joy. So thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. I think it's pretty much indisputable that LinkedIn is a leader in the world of recruitment and talent. And I'm super excited to talk to you. And I know we have a ton to dig into. When I think about EQRX, we have very intentionally identified culture and talent acquisition as an area of super high priority for our company. And for some companies, thinking about this part can come much later in the life cycle of its business for us we really double down and hit the ground running on this right out of the gate. So I can imagine for you, Brendan, like doing this kind of work at such a large loan organization is an incredible undertaking. And I really wonder, can you give our listeners on the podcast today just a little bit of insight as to what it's like, not just working at LinkedIn, but really leading a super capable team who are innovators in the world of talent and recruiting? Sure. It's awesome to be here and I should probably give a shout out to Ed Nathan, who I think has been <laughs> a pioneer in the world of talent brands and using video and frankly, I've learned a tremendous amount from him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was great to see that he joined your organization. That to me was a good indicator that there's lots of good things to come. Working at LinkedIn, I, I like to say it's the most meta job in the company to be the recruiting guy because our customers are my colleagues and contemporaries. I mean, Ed's a customer. Ed's a guy I'm friendly with, and we can talk shop. And, and at the same time, we build products that I use as customer zero, so to speak. So it's a very meta kind of role. So that puts a lot of 
there's a lot of opportunity to innovate and really chase after blue sky ideas. And at the same time, there's lots of people that work at LinkedIn who believe that they understand how recruiting works intrinsically because they work for companies who, whose core business is talent. So there's a lot of education I need to continue to do with, with our stakeholders, hiring managers internally. But like from a, from a recruiting point of view, it's, it's a fantastic gig because part <laughs> innovation, part product work, core yeah. recruiting work, and tons of employment branding work, all using the platform that LinkedIn has built. So it's a pretty sweet gig for someone who does recruiting. Yeah, it's really funny you say that because in again, like leading up to this podcast of stalking you online. And I was like, I have always thought that I have the best gig in the world. And then I've gotten to know you. I'm like, huh, Brendan might actually have the best gig in the world. <laughs> We're like neck and neck there. So I know a lot of people that are, who are listening to us today are people in the world of talent. I'm sure we have job seekers, both, you know, sort of active and passive, but I know there are, you know, people who really do this for a living, who think about this, and I'm sure they'd love to hear more about you and how you really got into this, like, how did this become a career for you? What, what's your story? Yeah, I'm trying to be as concise as I can. I, I went to Villanova University. I grew up outside of Boston in Dedham, Massachusetts. I went to Villanova University and had a blast down there and just outside of Philadelphia. So I have to say, go Wildcats. Go Wildcats. Uh, <laughs> and I, I moved back to Boston into my parents' house. And within the first week, they told me how much I'd owe them in rent. And it was all business. Um, and I really wanted to work in television production because that's what I'd studied in college. And someone said, oh, have you ever thought about being a headhunter? Uh-huh. Like, and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. What is that? That's, that's a thing. I have no clue. So they made, you know, referred me to a couple of places that I, I met with a recruitment agency in, in Natick, Massachusetts. Yep. And a woman who had been doing this for a long time, who grew up in, in the Bronx and knew a lot about recruitment, hired me as an agency recruiter to kind of be sort of her sidekick in terms of sure. her and, and really learning the business. Did that for a couple of years and, and realized I had a, a bit of a knack for it on the people side. And I really enjoyed the competitive side of selling. Mm-hmm. And she explained to me, there's different paths. You could go in-house. What do you mean go in-house? Like, yeah. You can actually go work for a company and do recruiting for a company. And uh-huh. I was like, what's that like? It's just, you could go all sorts of different paths. You could be a head of recruitment. You could go into HR. You could, lots of different opportunities. So I, I decided that's maybe something I would explore. The phone rang and it was actually a headhunter looking to place <laughs> at Sapient. Uh, yeah. One Memorial Drive in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I joined them in their early-ish years. They're well on their way. And there's a guy named Michael White who took me under his, his wing and taught me a tremendous amount about everything from storytelling, closing, mm-hmm. gave me some insight that if you really want to be have an impactful co- career and even build wealth over your career, find really interesting companies that are well-backed, that have a good trajectory, get as much equity as you can in those companies. <laughs> and, and, this is and, all really great advice. I hope everyone's taking notes that's listening to you right now. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he just instilled, because he had done it at the time. I think he was, he was probably in his late 20s at the time. Uh, and I took that to heart. And the company yeah. wanted to, was looking for someone to move to California. I immediately raised my hand. and I'd never even been west of Chicago and said, I'll go to California, packed up, <laughs> went to the apartment I was living in at that time in Brighton, Massachusetts with my Boston buddies. I'm like, I'm out of here, guys. I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, and packed up and moved to the West Coast and got to know Silicon Valley and the, the startup world. Yeah. And was on my way from that point. But I, what I took to heart was 
companies who have the best talent win. Mm-hmm. And to get the best talent, you better have an incredible story. You better engage people that so you blow their minds, so you leave an indelible, mar- positive mark about the experience of interacting with that company. Sure. Um, and, and you got to hustle for it. It's early yeah. for planet, and that kind of got me rolling. And from there, I took a variety of different turns and, and twists, and, and then ultimately ended up at LinkedIn 10 years ago. That's awesome. So let's maybe pull the thread on that a little bit, because... When I think about employer branding, so much of it is really like the heart and soul of employer branding is storytelling. And so it's like the art of telling your story. And for us at EQRX, we really try to come out of the gate hard on storytelling and trying to develop a really an unassailable global brand, but also an employer brand that people would really understand like our mission and our passion for what we're trying to accomplish. So for you, like when it comes to employer branding and recruiting, like what are job seekers looking for and how can businesses really stand out as employers of choice when there are so many companies that I think do employer branding really well? Mm -hmm. Like how do you create a standout moment for yourself? Just something beyond storytelling? Like what's the secret sauce there? One, I think the the reality needs to match the story at some level. So if that's not happening, you, you get a broken brand. But let's just, let's assume that when I arrive, when you recruit me to your company, it, it, the promises that have been made get fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But in that process, yeah, people, some lots of people do have good employment brands. The way I like to break it down is, you, my job. If if I'm spending twenty minutes talking to you about LinkedIn right now, my job is to capture your imagination where you cannot. Re- you can't help yourself but get off the call and call your friend, your spouse, your partner and be like, holy yeah. shit, I just had this conversation. Yeah. I had no idea that LinkedIn was doing these the following things. Mm-hmm. But to convey that, I might have facts and figures at my fingertips, but it's really not about that. Sure. Told a lot of our hiring managers as well as recruiters that have been at the company for just a few weeks or a few months is impart your own experience to them. So if you've been here for a week and on day two, you had this real, really memorable interaction with Sue in the cafeteria talking about this new product idea in your phone up or whatever it might be, something memorable that you'd experience. Let other human beings know that through the process mm-hmm. and appeal to, the, to their heart as much as you can and, and you will get different results. My observation is in the world of recruitment and I mean, hey, look, it's a competition. Yeah. There are some people who I think everyone needs to step up their game because I look at you as a blank canvas. I get to talk to this candidate. This is my opportunity. I'm going to tell you things and share experiences and ideas with you that no other company will. So, so whether we hire you now or hire you in five years, it's anchoring you on these sort of experiential points and these things that truly capture imagination. Because also there's neuroscience behind it. There's chemicals that get released in your brain. Yeah. Oxygen gets released in your brain. I it's think like, mine are being released right now. I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, wow, I'm like really you're capturing this LinkedIn excitement. Like what's happening to me here? <laughs> so, so that is, and that for us, we, we train our recruiters. We have a two-day uh, session that we call Master Storyteller Training that is about building the facts brick by brick, but really bring people's own experience into it. Sure. Because it's not like a, something you can just teach someone in 30 minutes or a brown bag lunch. And I think it takes honing your craft. If you're a professional storyteller as part of your job, it's no uh-huh. different than getting in shape. If you're an athlete or something like that, you got to really hone your capability. 
Yeah. So I'm listening to you talking since we've been on the podcast together, you've talked about data, you've talked about meta. And I think it's safe to say that LinkedIn is really going deep, right? On data analysis, data platforms to help both candidates and employers find the right matches for each other. And it's beyond just the rapid evolution of data mining and really smart algorithms. I think it's also like the rapid evolution of human psychology and understanding to your point, like how the human brain works. So can you talk a little bit about that? And what have you learned in terms of really like the meaningful difference in innovation and leveraging data to match the right talent with the right organization? And, and how does LinkedIn think about that? Yeah, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really good question. And I, I think there's some like really pretty straightforward ways to, to use data mm-hmm. that can change conversations with stakeholders you have. I, I think it's, I'm probably not talking out of school to say that historically, there's always some degree of tension between the hiring, the hiring manager and their crew and the recruiting the recruiter and, and, and the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. Recruiter's not getting me the right people. It's not moving fast enough, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Re- recruiter's feeling like hiring manager doesn't know what they want. And it, it can be a healthy tension because there's some good energy to be harnessed there. But I think with a little bit of data, you can move that, the conversation in a different direction and build credibility. So as an example, mm-hmm. Very early on at LinkedIn, was fortunate enough to get some help from some people that were, you know, feeding me different ways to use data. But even simple things, if you said this was an actual real example, our former head of engineering wanted to hire certain type of uh, people to, to run data centers, and we call it a purple squirrel or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to find the person. They don't exist. There's no, there's no PhD in bioinformatics who also speaks Japanese who can run a big organization. It's very, <laughs> it just doesn't exist. Yeah. So we, we sat down with this guy and on one slide, we just put this little chart and said, there's, to meet all of your criteria, there's seven people, based on our data, not, <laughs> not the complete data set of everyone sure. in the world. On LinkedIn, there's seven human beings who meet your criteria. And hey, we, we can do this. We'll do this search for you. It might take us one to two years, literally, to get it done or more. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's something else we can do. And this executive was spouting off and he was fired up. He's a very energetic guy. And we said, maybe, maybe it's two jobs or maybe you could relax the requirements on location or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you get someone who's a little bit earlier in their career, not quite at this senior level that would, could get the job. But it led to a conversation with this executive, not because I led it in that direction, mm-hmm. just sharing a little bit of data shifted the credibility actually in, in the interaction Yep. So there's those types of things that I, I think all of us in recruiting need to do more of because our credibility goes through the roof. Yeah. And there's lots of other examples, but that's a super straightforward, simple one that the data actually tells a story for you. So if you're a recruiter who's nervous about, ah, oh, I got to go meet Sue, she's really tough on as a hiring manager, you bring a little bit of the right data, yep. the meeting becomes more fun and more engaging and easier because the data leads the way. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we can shift gears for a little bit and move from recruiting and talent to culture, because I think a lot of companies, particularly in the world in which we're living in now, in the midst of this global pandemic, organizations are rightly concerned about either culture development, if they're just starting out, 
or culture preservation, regardless of which end of the spectrum your business is on, you're trying to hang on or grow the culture with people working remotely. How do you think about through this newfound remote culture and what that means for the world of work and how should managers, whether they're recruiters or managers, functional managers, how should they be thinking about the future of remote work as it relates to culture? It's a good question. I don't don't know if I have all the answers. What I would say is I think there's still a lot to be figured out. I think Mm -hmm. there's a couple different camps. I think there's a camp that's let's go all remote forever for always. And that's going to be a competitive advantage for us on getting talent from anywhere. Maybe it helps you with your, your diversity recruitment efforts, et cetera. And there's a, there's an argument to be made. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, there's others that are looking at, maybe there's a hybrid approach that works and there's other folks that are like, we want people back in the office as soon as it's, it's humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal belief is I think pushing the envelope on remote can be a competitive strategic advantage. Yeah. I think about it in that one, there's, there's good talent everywhere. Uh, sure. There's markets that I'd love to be in that I know we can compete and win. Having a remote strategy is, the, is a way to get there. On, on the cultural side of things, I think there's more change management involved in this whole thing than people actually realize. Sure. And I think it can be a good test of your, your values as well, because I think there's a work to be done to make sure that there's trust in those values manifesting, even if everyone's 100% uh, remote. So I, I don't know if there's one one answer, but I think clarity, if you work for an organization, I think now is the time where to the degree that you can get clarity on these things and communicate them consistently again and again to your employees is really important. Yeah. Um, and I also think that there's all these things about too much screen time is exhausting your right. employees. What does that look like? I think we need to listen to employees as much as we can. So I think gathering data through different types of surveys or different types of signals is super important right now because we're in a place none of us have been before. Yeah, we definitely agree with you on that point. I mean, particularly on the, like, you can't over-communicate with your employees and, and share information as it becomes available. It's just the right thing to do. But I also think it helps employees who are humans first plan and helps them to take control of their lives at a time where people might feel somewhat out of control, isolated or whatever, however people are feeling in the midst of the pandemic. So from your perspective, given all the data that you are privy to, do you see any trends emerging in the world of recruiting or talent acquisition? Can you predict how things might change because of the pandemic as people think about going after great talent? Yeah. One, just in general, on the tech and tools, there's just be more and more collaborative tools emerging that kind of meet this, meet the remote needs. So I think there'll be some you know, interesting things. There's already interesting things happening. I think there'll be more there. Yeah. The, and, uh, and, and LinkedIn has even launched a few really like forward-looking, innovative, collaborative tools, I, I would say from our experience. So yeah. There's some interesting happening at, at LinkedIn is a, a product called LinkedIn Talent Insights, which is one that I think can really help create further the case. If you're a recruiter, HR leader, and you want to make a case that, hey, we need to be in Raleigh, Durham, or we need to be in Detroit, mm-hmm. your, your thesis is, shouldn't be Austin, it should actually be Houston. Yeah. The data, there's lots of tooling around that that will 
up-level the credibility of any HR organization. So that's happening. In the world of recruitment specifically, my feeling is that there'll be more tools and more signals where, here's a question for you. How many hours did you interview for one of your past jobs? Yeah, a, a lot. When you think about the commuting time, the number of rounds of interviews, the number of people in each round, it could easily add up to 30 hours. Yeah, not so including the time that you spend like investing, researching, and being really smart right, about that company before you go in. So I, yeah, same. I've had those experiences interviewing 10, 12, 15. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and my feeling is you, science says you don't need to do all that assessment. Mm-hmm. So I believe that where the future is, if you're a career product marketer mm-hmm. and you've done some really interesting things and you have a track record, the track record is you have to believe in that track. Maybe there's some questions we need to ask you. Mm-hmm. But really what I want to know is how we're going to work together. Do you align to our values? And sure. that's 15 hours of interviews. Yeah. Need maybe two 60-minute conversations and mm-hmm. boom, let's, let's make an offer and let's hire her. Let's make yeah. it happen. So I think you'll see... And there'll be companies that leap to the front on that. So there's that. And then there's also things around companies that do have good brands. They're not as concerned about, I need more candidates. It's like, hey, I got too many candidates. Right. And what are the tools? What, what, yeah, what are the assessment tools? Then what do you do? To turn that down to ensure that there's a really good positive, uh, positive experience. Yeah. And then I think there'll be lots of interesting things to make sure that sort of talent that otherwise doesn't get a fair shake, gets more of a fair shake. And I think yeah. that's really important. Like, so for us, we've looked at like, do paying referral bonuses even make sense? Yep. I don't know. Sometimes I don't think they make sense because sometimes we don't, may not want more of the same. We want different. So there's a few trends like that. I, I think you'll see happening over and over again. Every recruiting and HR organization workforce planning and is something that I think is elusive, but I think yeah. new tools help. Uh, on that front too in the next few years. Yeah. Here's the million dollar question for all of those people who are out there. And I, and I get like, now is it maybe a scary time to change jobs, right? Because you're interviewing remotely. You might not ever, you probably not meeting people in person as you go through the interview process, but let's just put that aside for a second. So for people who are out there um, actively looking for new jobs right now, what is really best practices for candidates to stand out and get noticed. Yeah. One is figure out how comfortable you are being open and somewhat vulnerable about yourself. And I, and yeah. I, I say that because, hey, look, I'm, you know, let's take LinkedIn as an example. You, you want to put up a video of the awesome algorithm work you do or the great brand strategy work you came up with and have a 20-minute video about what it's about to differentiate you just in general. Like mm-hmm. nothing's stopping you from doing that. There's yeah. such an opportunity to get exposure if you're comfortable with sharing. So at the very least, I would make sure you're putting your work, actual work up online somewhere sure. on, on LinkedIn, your portfolio, talks you've given, whatever it is, some code, open source code that you've shared. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go further than that, and you could target a company, put out a video about, why you want to work for that company in a meaningful yeah. way. It's, the possibilities from a creative point of view are endless. Uh-huh. We've seen those things. We've, I'm, I've gotten emails from our CEO, be like, check this out. <laughs> and, it'll, and it will immediately obviously get our attention. But the good news is if you have the hustle, you can outflank people that maybe aren't taking that one or two or three or four or five 
extra steps. Yep. I think that's really important. Obviously, work your network. If you can get an introduction, mm-hmm. uh, all the better. Get eyeballs on the work that you've actually done. And if you're earlier in your career and you're thinking like, Brent, I haven't done anything. <laughs> yeah. The best paper you wrote in high school, trade school, university projects, whatever it is, put that stuff out there. Me as a recruiter, I want to see differentiation from people. Yeah. Yep. The second I see it, that's what grabs my attention. That's super helpful. I feel like over the past two months or so, I've had lots of friends in my network reach out to me to say, oh, my son, my daughter recently graduated college. I'm really trying to help them network. Can you have a networking call with them? And they're in industries that aren't related to mine. So I can be helpful, but there's only so far my network's going to go. And really it is like tapping into whatever it is that makes them competitive and differentiated and, you know, authentic and how they can put that out there and package it up. Even if they're just starting out, there's something in everyone that makes you different, unique and stand out, right? So you just got to be vulnerable to put yourself out there and tap into it. And, and Hoffman actually found in LinkedIn as a couple of books, one of them start startup of you. He talks about letting your aspiration be known. Yeah. If I think about myself, I, I like still haven't let my aspiration be known. That's a scary thing to do because mm-hmm. really what is your dream? Not like you know, sure. be a sales rep or whatever. If that's your dream, make that your aspiration. But if your dream, if you're 22 and your dream is to have the biggest podcast in the country, yep. let people know that because I feel like I can only help people when they let me know what their aspiration actually is. Mm-hmm. It's okay if they don't know, we can talk through it and maybe I can help you know, steer them to ideate a little bit. But the clearer someone can be and say, hey, I, I want to build the best, best new food app in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Now Go for can, it. <laughs> now we can, but now we can really talk. Let's yeah. talk about how I can help you specifically. For those that are listening, thinking about this, Start writing down what is your aspiration, and, and is if you're like this is way too you know crazy, uh uh-uh. uh because you never know how someone might be able to help you, and the first step is letting your your aspiration be known to them. Sure, absolutely, and it goes back to again like giving yourself permission to just be your authentic self, mm-hmm. but think big and uh, just and just get after it. It's hard and scary, particularly if you're just starting out, because there's I think people just have this sort of like fear of rejection, fear of people telling you like, you can't do that, but you just got to push that aside and just get after it if it's what you really want. And I think for us, like people who actively apply to, for a position at EQRX, whether we have an open position that meets their skills or they're hoping for something to come in the future, it's okay. What are, what about our mission are you passionate about and what makes you tick and who is the authentic you on the other side of this you know, technology platform that we're using. That's so important. Agreed. One thing, uh, I know we're almost out of time, but one thing I like to ask all of our guests on this podcast is like, what's the best advice you've ever received? There's probably a few things I'd I'd throw out there. One is be a spectator to your thoughts, Mm -hmm. especially when it's difficult. And that is something I try to put into practice, particularly these days. So that's (laughs) helpful. Uh, and the other was more of an, an axiom, which uh, is if your if your glass is half full, it's not empty. Yes, I and love it. Positive spin on things. Thank you so much. You were an awesome and super entertaining guest today. I know our listeners have a lot that they could take away from our discussion, so I hope everyone was taking notes. And maybe you're going to get your 
LinkedIn requests are going to go up exponentially as people hear this podcast. Thank you again. For those of you out there in podcast land, be sure to check out Talent on Tap and definitely listen to Brendan's jams because they are awesome. Um, So thanks for listening today to How Do You EQ? And remember, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Adori if you like what you hear. And please be sure to tune in next time. Be safe out there, people. EQRX is remaking medicine. Join us. Visit eqrx.com slash careers to apply.